Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christianity of Saturdays. Today is Saturday, May 12, 2018. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight we are going to discuss a few topics, and, and the primary one, the first one, I've tentatively subtitled, Does Prosperity Gospel Belong in Christian Identity? or, as I announced it at the website, debunking the prosperity gospel. Tonight we have Sonny Eanes here to help us with this topic. Sonny has um, many years of experience with multi-level marketing organizations that actually use a lot of the same material that is employed by these prosperity gospel Preachers, so Sonny understands and recognizes the language, the buzzwords, the concepts that they use, multi-level marketers using the same material in, in order to try to motivate people and, and, and basically sucker them in to buying their products and signing up as salesmen. Hello, Sonny. Hey, Bill. It's good to have you here. Thank you. To begin this evening, I, I am compelled to talk about a topic that I really don't like to talk about at all, but because there always seems to be some sort of controversy swirling around what I do and say at Christagenia, sometimes I'm compelled to discuss certain things. I like to think that people choose to support my ministry because they understand that Christian identity is truth and that it is the only truth and that it needs to be set on a solid academic foundation from which it can be disseminated to more and more of our white European race to those for whom our faith is intended. We undertake that endeavor with the hope that eventually this truth prevails among our people. Supporting my ministry, people are showing their faith in my work, a vote of confidence in my ability to contribute in that endeavor. Because building that academic foundation takes a lot of work in research and writing, and then disseminating the results of the work requires a lot of cost and a lot of labor for websites and servers and related expenses. Christagenia has in excess of $1,000 a month in such expenses, although that cost also covers a lot of other Christian identity and white nationalist websites. But this is not a fundraiser, and this is not an appeal for funds, so don't get me wrong. Rather, this is to set the record straight about a few things because of the divisions we've had within our Christian identity community over this past year. Some of our friends, for which reason they are now former friends, have taken to teaching the so-called prosperity gospel within Christian identity. And to us, that is a grievous sin. So they are preaching that you can use a so-called law of attraction to gain material wealth and that Jesus really wants you to have an abundant life. They speak of giving so that you can receive, and ostensibly, if you give to them, you can receive many times more than you gave. 
One of them even has taken to a teaching that you do not need any God in heaven. Rather, he teaches that God is in you, and therefore you can create whatever you want for yourself, if only you would just believe. Here we are going to play, and, and before I get into this with Sonny, and before we what we um, really start debunking th this trash, here we are going to play a two and a half minute clip of that person speaking. This is Ryan Brennan, or so-called Brother Ryan, from a video which he posted called Facts vs. Truth, from 11 minutes and 41 seconds to 14 minutes and 13 seconds. Please suffer through this so that we can address some of his errors. I, I hate to in, impose this on my listeners, but I think they could stand two and a half minutes. You'll notice this if you pay attention to yourself. You'll notice that a lot of times your outer flesh will have a feeling about something. Sometimes it's pretty negative ones. It's anxiousness, anger, frustration, worry, concern, etc. About finances, your health, or you know, a loved one. Uh, their situation, whatever, but your inner spirit is always calm. This is the spiritual teaching of the storm, and, and when the disciples were in the boat, and Christ was asleep, taking a nap, and they're freaking out when a storm comes. And they're like, look at him, he's sleeping, what the hell, you know? And they wake him up, and he's like, what? And he calms the storm. Just a matter of fact, everything Jesus did was very matter of fact, if you'll notice. That was something I did notice many years ago, and I didn't understand is he was so matter-of-fact about things he said and did, and he was just almost like, it's almost like he was burdened. That's the way I got from the character Jesus in the book, if you will. That's the way I perceived his, his character, was that he was just kind of like, matter-of-fact, not, not that he's arrogant or hateful at all, but that he was just like, eh, you know, what's your problem? And if you feel from your inner spirit, you begin to realize why Christ was so calm and what he was trying to get across to his disciples and other people. And this is what he meant by, if, if thou canst believe, and that's how the, the scripture actually reads. It's like a question. He's like, if you, thou canst believe, if you can, you can, if thou canst believe, all things are possible. All things. Not some things. Not, well, if it's God's will. God's will is your will. And that's something that upsets so many Christians. And it's the truth. God is living through you. It's whatever you believe. If you believe whatever it is in your daily life, your short-term goals and your long, big goals and dreams, whatever you believe about them, if you believe they're real, they will happen. They will. Now, Everything, again, starts with feeling. Are you feeling from your flesh? Are you feeling from your spirit? And you have to notice the two, and you have to learn the two. And when you begin to understand and you begin to have a feeling about something, an emotional feeling about something, something at work, something in your daily life, something big in your life, whatever it is, you need to pay attention. Is this for my flesh or is this for my spirit? Spirit's never wrong. Your flesh usually is. Sonny, are you there? He's not used to this. We, we have to be um, at least a little merciful. He doesn't have a lot of experience with this. I got job here now. Yeah, you're talking when the tape is playing. You can't do that. I mean, we need to hear the tape. That's why I'm playing it. You okay. know? 
<laughs> Calm down. This, slow hey, down. This is technology. That this is a program. <laughs> Let's pay attention to what's going on, please. Um, right. I, I don't know if you have anything that you want to say about that up front. I, I have an analysis of that. Well, uh, like I told you back when you did the Goddard uh, program, I got into Amway back in 1978. And that was my first experience with what we call prosperity teaching, prosperity doctrine. It wasn't as flaunted as much by them as it was some of the other network marketing companies that I've been into. But most of all, the others promoted the number one book was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And uh, there were also some other books, The Magic of Thinking Big, The Magic of Believing, you know, if you believe that you can be a millionaire, you're going to be a millionaire. All you got to do is put forth the effort and Yahweh and or God will bring these things to you. That's basically what all of their teachings are. And, you know, this didn't really settle good with me uh, going through these many years with network marketing. But it, for some reason, it, I just kept staying into it. But I never got rich, I'll say that. Well, you're always hoping to, I'm sure. Having oh, your yeah, head always hoping to. The, the, always, um, always saying the mantras, always listening to the tapes running and the CDs running up and down the highway, you know, the stuff constantly going in your ear. And I wasn't the only one doing it. You know, everyone I knew was doing the same thing that was involved in it. Well, well, right, and and that's what whether it was um, Amway or, or any other network marketing um, company, they were promoting this stuff. Exactly. And and this is exactly what um, Ryan Brennan is attempting to introduce to Christian identity to a Christian identity audience, and and it's exactly what. Michael Brandenburg is attempting to introduce to a Christian identity audience, only he's doing it with, with much more subtlety. And, and this, you know, Ryan has um, mentioned Napoleon Hill and Neville Goddard in his articles, in his videos, and this is what he's pushing. There, there's no doubt. Right. I, can, I was thinking back this afternoon, I was raised Southern Baptist. And back in the, I guess it was the 70s and the 80s, there were two preachers. And this is really the first experience that I saw with this prosperity type teachings. Uh, Oral Roberts and I think the other one was Rex Humbard. And they were preaching this prosperity in their sermons on TV. And, you know, I did not realize at that time what, what they were doing. But you know they were saying, "You send me a send me a hundred dollars, you'll be receiving a thousand back because of the blessings that God will give to you." And you know they hyped these things up, and they had people believing it all over the nation. Elderly people sending in their last the last money they had, and they're still doing it. Let Let me of get course. on with this analysis from from Ryan's tape. 
I'm certain that most of the listeners probably forgot what he said by now, but that's okay because I have quotes and I'm going to repeat it. And it'll be a part of this podcast, of, of course, when it's posted on a website, but I will also post the separate excerpt so that people could listen to just that two and a half minutes again if they need to. We, we heard Ryan say here that if thou canst believe all things are possible, all things, not some things, and of course that first part is a quote from the Gospel of Christ, and Ryan says all things, not some things, but is that what Christ really said? And, and the first fault with this tale that Ryan contrived is that Christ never is never recorded as having said all things are possible in connection with the episode where he quieted the storms during the night that he and his disciples crossed the sea in a small vessel. He never said that in connection with, with that event. The event is recorded in Matthew chapter 8, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 8. Christ challenged the faith of his disciples for thinking that harm would come to them. But this is not where he told them that all things are possible. So Ryan just takes different parts of scripture and, and sort of mashes them together to create his own religion. This is what hucksters do. They take single lines out of scriptures and make up their own stories hoping that you will believe them. Christ is recorded as having said that all things are possible four times in the King James Version of the Bible. And the first occasion where Christ said that all things are possible is found in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. And in that passage, a father is making an appeal to Christ to heal his son, who was possessed with a demon. The man said to Christ, But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So Christ responded, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So we must ask, What did Christ ask the man? He asked him, If thou canst believe, if you can believe. So, if you can believe what? How about if you can believe what the man had already said, which is the context of the statement. But if you can do it, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The man believed that Christ could help him. So Christ said, all things are possible to him that believeth that Christ could help him. That is the context of the passage. And that is how the words must be interpreted. They certainly cannot be removed from that context and interpreted in a manner which leads anyone to believe that they could get rich because they want to get rich. That, that's, removed, that, that's ridiculous. So, the next two occasions where Christ had said that all things are possible, which we shall mention, are actually from the same event which is found at Matthew 19, verse 26, and Mark 10, verse 27. There the subject was a discussion of the difficulty which a rich man would have to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Christ said, With men it is pos impossible. With men it is impossible, but not with God, 
for with God all things are possible. With God. That's the operative phrase there, right? With God all things are possible. So a man cannot enter the kingdom of heaven by his own will or belief. But even a man who seems not to deserve to enter the kingdom of heaven can obtain the mercy of God and enter thereby. But there is nothing there indicating that a belief will make one rich. Only that one who is already rich can enter the kingdom of heaven even if he had trusted in his riches rather than in God. When Ryan Brennan said to me, in the presence of Michael Brandenburg and both of our wives, Jessica and Melissa, that we can have anything we want through faith, I responded to him that through our faith we can have anything which is within the will of our God, Yahweh our God. And he scoffed at that statement and he muttered behind my back, and I overheard him muttering behind my back to the Brandenburgs, but I let it go. I didn't respond. I said, spoke my piece. So a short time later, when Ryan made this video, from which we just played this extract, which was in July of 2017, he said, in the video, God's will is your will. And that's something that upsets so many Christians, and it's the truth. God is living through you. It's whatever you believe. If you believe whatever it is in your daily life, your short-term goals and your long, big goals and dreams, whatever you believe about them, and if you believe they're real, they will happen. They will. And we just heard that from Ryan in, in, that, in, in that excerpt, in that two-and-a-half-minute tape excerpt that I made from that video. And, of course, I have a copy of the entire video uncut. It should still be on Ryan's um, YouTube channel. I don't know. He took a lot of videos down since we split. All of the videos that he was complimenting me in up until no the end of November of 2017, he, he basically took down so far as I, so far as I can see. But now I must ask, is this really the example which we have from Christ? That God's will is our will. And God is living through us. So whatever we believe, if, if we believe whatever it is, it will happen. That's what he's saying, which is just crazy. Because people have really believed in things since the dawn of time that haven't happened. The fourth and last time that Christ is recorded as having said that all things are possible is found in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Christ is praying very shortly before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane because he knew what was about to befall him. He, being God incarnate, prayed as an example to men. And this is what Mark recorded in part. In Mark 14, I'll read from Mark 14:34. And saith unto them, meaning Christ is saying unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrow unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. He's going off to pray and he tells his apostles about his um, emotional condition and, and he wants to go off to pray so he tells them to wait here and watch. And then in verse 35, And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that, 
if it were possible, the hour might pass from him, meaning that he wouldn't have to face the things that he was about to face. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And Luke's version has that last part to read in the King James Version. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The fleshly will of Christ reflects the will of man not to suffer in the, in the flesh, in spite of the fact that Christ had told the apostles over the previous days exactly what he was to suffer. So Christ said, and I will repeat it from the Christogenian New Testament, where the updated language is more clear, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Set aside this cup from me. Yet it is not what I desire, but what you do. So here Christ himself is an example to men, that their own personal desires do not matter, and that God's desires are distinct from those of man, and that it is God's desires which must prevail. Again, Ryan said in this clip, which we just heard, that God's will is your will, and that's something that upsets so many Christians, and it's the truth. But that is not the truth. It is bullshit. <laughs> It is bullshit. It is a lie. If it were true, as we have just seen in Mark chapter 14, Christ would not have been crucified because Yahweh would have let the cup pass from him. Neither would Peter have been called Satan because he opposed the prophesied suffering of Christ. In Matthew chapter 16 and Mark chapter 8, we see Christ explain that he would be crucified and Peter rebuked him for it. So Christ said to him in Matthew 16:23, Get behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Ryan continued and said, God is living through you. That is the trash that clowns like Rick Warren and 10,000 other modern denominational evangelists teach. They cannot properly imagine a living God, so they claim that God lives through men. In truth, Christians are told by Christ, in John chapter 14, that God would dwell with them if they keep his commandments. But the God of the scriptures is a separate living entity who does not need man at all. He is the first and the last and the only being which is truly eternal, and we can only live through him, but he certainly does not need us. The Apostle John tells us in his first epistle in chapter 4 that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. John did not say that he might live through us. He said that we might live through him. The idea that he might live through us is blasphemy. Then Ryan continued and said, It's whatever you believe. If you believe whatever it is in your daily life, your short-term goals and your long, big goals and dreams, whatever you believe about them, and if you believe they're real, they will happen. They will. When you begin to understand and you begin to have a feeling about something, an emotional feeling about something, something at work, something in your daily life, something big in your life, whatever it is,
You need to pay attention. Is this from my flesh or is this from my spirit? And then Ryan concluded, your spirit's never wrong. Your flesh usually is. Now to show Ryan Brennan, to show that Ryan Brennan is actually teaching the same prosperity gospel being taught in some of the Baal churches of denominational Christianity. We will hear from a negress, a she-boom, a she-boom, Sonny, mute yourself. <laughs> we will hear from a she-boom who professes the same faith that we have heard Ryan profess. This clip is only 50 seconds, 57 seconds long, so please suffer through it. Look, look, I got a message for y'all. If y'all want to do something, y'all can do it. You just got to wake up every day and have that mindset and keep telling yourself, <laughs> one day I'm going to be a millionaire, one day I'm going to be rich, one day I'm going to be famous. And guess what? This shit eventually going to come true because you're speaking that shit into existence. But if you wake up every day and be like, man, I ain't never going to be shit. I'm broke as fuck. I'm going to always be broke. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And guess what? You're going to continue to be broke. And you ain't never going to have what you really want. Because you not you don't believe in yourself. You gotta believe in yourself. You gotta speak that shit into this. Cause let me tell y'all something. Before this all this Instagram shit, I used to wake up every day and be like, man, I love my life. Man, I'ma be rich one day. I'ma be famous. I don't know how I'ma do it, but guess what? It's gonna happen. Guess what? That shit really happened. Let me tell you, I used to work at a restaurant. I hated that shit, but I said one day I'ma be famous, so I ain't even tripping. You feel me? But yeah, thanks to the right people, that shit happened. Thanks to the right. Well, well, yeah, right. I mean, she probably hoard herself off and she got what she wanted, but she, she thinks that her mind created it. But what she's saying there is exactly what Ryan Brennan's teaching. Right. It, it's to a T. And wow. You, you know, that there are actually many people on the internet teaching this garbage, but as far as I know, amongst everybody who professes or has professed to be Christian identity, the only two people teaching this garbage are Ryan Brennan and Michael Brandenburg. From here, Ryan often begins his, he, he begins to explain his so-called law of attraction, which he got from Neville Goddard and which ultimately comes from the Kabbalah. None of this is Christian and it is the essence of the so-called prosperity gospel. Arthur Lee, or Michael Brandenburg, is not teaching these same things. It, 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 he, he is teaching these same things, but not in the same way. He's teaching them in a much more subtle manner. I may be able to spend an entire podcast proving this wrong from a hundred scriptures, but here I will only cite one scripture from Romans chapter 8. And what I say by proving this wrong, I'm, I'm talking about Brennan's idea that your, your um, mind can tell your spirit what, what it should believe and that your spirit's never wrong and your flesh usually is wrong. So if you have desires from your spirit, that they will come true. And, and that's the essence of what he's teaching. In Romans chapter 8, Paul said, But if we hope for that, we see not. Then we do with patience wait for it. 
Likewise, the Spirit also helps with our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, our conscious mind doesn't know what we're going to need, because our conscious mind can't really see what's wrong with us. It can't really see the future. And Paul says, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And in the Christianity New Testament, that is, with inexpressible groanings. So Paul explains that we know not what we should pray for, but at a level which we cannot understand, the Spirit within us petitions our God on our behalf at a level which we cannot understand. Ryan Brennan is teaching Kabbalistic mysticism and not Christianity. Later in that same video, he went on to talk about the validity of inspiration found in pagan religions, things which Yahweh, the God of the Scriptures, absolutely despises. So to our former friends, faith has become whatever they wish to believe. And on that basis, they accuse me of not having faith. But to me, faith is, in part, a belief that Yahweh, the God of our fathers, and of our scriptures, will accomplish what he desires, and what he has expressly promised in those scriptures. And he will do that regardless of what I may believe. While there is a little more to our Christian faith than that, that is the most important element. And I'm always getting sniveled at. Do I have material wealth? I've been blessed with a few things. I have two Jeeps, but I bought both of them used. They're both five years old. I hope to travel a lot, and I have traveled a lot in connection with my ministry and related endeavors. And for that, I need dependable transportation. But these are Jeeps. Look them up. Prices for brand new four-door Jeeps start at $27,000. But a new Chevy Tahoe starts at $47,000. A Cadillac Escalade, which I couldn't even imagine ever owning, starts at $74,000. So I'm not being extravagant. I only have what I need, including a few good computers. But I have a few, only a few other worldly belongings. I have no jewelry, no fine watches. I don't own one single suit or tie. I don't own any fancy leather dress shoes. I don't own any toys like boats or ATVs or motorcycles. I don't need any of that, and I won't have any of that. Any such worldly trappings are not my desire, because they are not useful to the conduct of my ministry. But on the other hand, I certainly cannot claim to be impoverished as we are blessed with our daily bread. And the bills are already paid for this month. We are happy with that. We are happy with what we have as the scripture insists that we should be. So what is my point? If my readers and listeners, those who appreciate my work, choose to support me so that I can continue in my endeavors and so that Christogenia can remain active, it must not be for their own personal gain. You will not be blessed with material riches for supporting me, and you may even be persecuted instead. Supporting Christogenia or laboring in any other way to advance our message and our cause is an act of sacrifice, and it cannot be done with any expectation of economic return.
Some may not believe it, but my own work is an act of sacrifice, because before I started this nearly 10 years ago, it would have been much more lucrative for me to use my skills in other ways, and I made a purposeful choice not to do so. The so-called prosperity gospel is a lie, a deception by which men claiming to be pastors tickle the ears of their followers with empty promises of an abundant life and impending riches. But in reality, they are only hoping to enrich themselves. If any preacher or so-called teacher is telling you that Jesus wants you to have an abundant life in a material sense, he is a liar and a fraud who is attempting to deceive you he is exploiting any greed which you may have for his own profit. If anyone is telling you that, telling you, if anyone is telling you that you can have material wealth, simply if you believe that you will have material wealth, he is a false prophet and a devil. Christian faith is not whatever you may believe you do, or whatever you may believe you can have. The Christian faith is what you believe that God can do to keep what he has already promised. Christians cannot expect to be enriched materially. As we recently explained here from Ecclesiastes and other scriptures, Christians can only hope to enjoy the fruits of their own labors, and that is a blessing from God. Christians should not be covetous for their own material gain. Christians should only hope to store up treasure in heaven by advancing the kingdom of heaven and subjecting themselves to the will of Yahweh their God here on earth. This is the essence of the divisions in our community which we have recently experienced. But we do not care for numbers or popularity. We will have no part in prosperity gospel because it is evil. We feel badly that some of our brethren have been led astray by these charlatans. But their faith could not have been well established in the first place to accept and even to accommodate such lies as these. From Jeremiah chapter 23, how long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophecy lies? Yeah, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams which they tell, every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. The prophet that has a dream, let him tell a, tell a dream, and he that has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? saith Yahweh. Is not my word like as a fire, saith Yahweh, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? There, behold, I am against the prophets, saith Yahweh, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith Yahweh, that use their tongues and say, He saith. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith Yahweh, and do tell them, and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore they shall not profit this people at all, saith Yahweh.
Sonny, you got anything to add? I mean, I have a, a ways to go yet. No, I don't, Bill. The everything, everything that you're saying is right on point. Well, I'm glad. The prosperity gospel teachers love John chapter 10, verse 10. But they miss the entire point of it. Because the words of Christ in that passage actually rebuke them. The King James Version reads, The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, that word more is not in the original text, but it appears in the King James Version. That word it is not in the original text, but at least that was placed into italics in the King James Version so that we know it's not in the original text. When I translated the Christogenian New Testament, I had no idea that the passage was commonly abused by such hucksters. So I wrote in part, I have come in order that they would have life and they would have abundance. It is impossible to render the passage in English without adding some word. So literally it would be better read, I am come, I have come in order that they would have life and they would have abundantly. That is because the Greek word is an adjective and not a noun, even though it is the object of a verb. So I chose to render it as a noun, but it would have been better if I added a pronoun instead. I have come in order that they would have life and they would have it abundantly. At least that way the verse is less susceptible to be twisted by the prosperity hucksters. In any event, in John chapter 10 verse 10, Christ is not telling his disciples that through him they would have an abundance of material wealth in life. Rather, he is telling them that through him they would have an abundance of life itself. There is more to life than riches, as we may read in Luke chapter 12. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Therefore, the abundance of John chapter 10 verse 10 is certainly not an abundance of things. In spite of this, one of our former friends used the phrase abundant life in eight of his sermons from October through December of 2017. In the same period, and I'm referring to Michael Brandenburg, posing as author Lee. In the same period, he used the phrase abundant blessings explicitly in relation to material blessings seven times. In his sermon, The Unseen Realm of Faith, Part 4, Your Inheritance, Michael Brandenburg said, <clears throat> and I quote, for he then goes on, speaking of Christ, for he then goes on to give a guarantee of abundant material blessings, a hundredfold now in this time, promised to any of his children who has given their all for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because they are not trusting in riches, but only trusting in God. 
And with this, Michael evidently claims that if you trust in riches, you have no guarantee of material blessings. But if you trust in God, you do have a guarantee of material blessings. A little further on, Brandenburg wrote, Christ promises to freely bestow abundant material blessings. Now, in this time, upon those who prove their faithfulness to the gospel ministry, which is total dependency upon God. But is that what Yahshua Christ really meant? And if Yahshua Christ really meant that, why was Paul of Tarsus shipwrecked three times when he could have had his own jet plane? Let's have a look at Mark chapter 10 verses 29 and 30, which is actually another very popular passage amongst prosperity gospel hucksters. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that has left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, and the gospel's. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. What Christ means is that with the persecution of Christians, when we lose our own families on account of divisions, divisions caused by the gospel, we should be able to rely on one another for our sustenance. Like at one time I fed Ryan Brennan's ass for five months. <laughs> so a son can be ejected from his father's house on account of the truth. Or a man may lose his house to the government on account of persecutions. And he can rely on the entire body of Christians for a place to stay and for sustenance in time of need. The brethren which he gains a hundredfold are the entire body of Christians who should be willing to help him in his time of persecution and to make their houses his houses and their sustenance his sustenance. White Christians become one large family willing to sacrifice some of their own material wealth on behalf of one another in order to help one another out in the time of need. That is the message of Mark 10.30. So a man may have a hundred homes to which he can resort when he is cast out of his own home. That does not mean that a man can expect to own a hundred houses. Christ had spoken these words in response to Peter, who had said in Mark chapter 10 verse 28, Look, we have left all things and have followed you. Yet there is no record of Peter ever having owned a hundred houses even though he did have a house at one time, Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. In fact, a few verses prior to this, in Mark chapter 10, verse 23, Christ had already explained how difficultly those having money enter into the kingdom of Yahweh. So Michael Brandenburg has become yet another prosperity huckster. Prosperity preachers usually teach their listeners that if they give, meaning that if they make donations to them, they will receive many times more wealth in return. This is how Joel Osteen lives in a $45 million mansion. This is how the nigger called Credo Dollar, or whatever the hell his name is, 
begged his parishioners, had begged his church-going audience for $65 million to buy himself a new jet plane by telling them that if they give to their church that they will they will receive many times more wealth in return and for this they like to quote Luke 638 so we shall read from two verses before that so that we can see the broader context of one of their favorite passages we'll read from Luke 636 be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful judge not and ye shall not be judged condemn not and ye shall not be condemned forgive and ye shall be forgiven give and it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that you meet with all it shall be measured to you again and the context of the giving in Luke 6.38 is judgment and mercy. Judgment and mercy. Therefore Christ explains that if one judges his brethren with mercy, he in turn shall receive many fold times more mercy from God. But this cannot be taken out of context and applied to money or houses or anything else of material wealth. There is no point in a man having a hundred houses. As Christ explained in Matthew chapter 6, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moss and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust do corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, meaning that if you be sincere, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness! No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon, or money. Commenting on James chapter 4 verse 2, another favorite verse of the prosperity hucksters, the Negro preacher named Creflo Dollar, Creflo Dollar maybe, I don't know how a nigger would pronounce his name. <laughs> Creflo, Creflo. Maybe it should have been Free Flow Dollars, right? The yeah. nigger named Creflo Dollar is quoting is it is often quoted as having said, "When we pray, believing that we have already received what we are praying, which is what Ryan Brennan teaches." Creflo has a slightly different spin on it. God has no choice but to make our prayers come to pass. No choice. And this sounds very much like Ryan Brennan. So let's read James chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 to see, to see if this rings true. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? In other words, wars and fightings among us come from the lust 
among some of us, the lust which is within some of us. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and have desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, The spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy. Oh, but Ryan Brennan says, The spirit's never wrong. The flesh usually is. But the apostle James says, The spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy. And then James, speaking of God, says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James is clearly teaching that we should not seek material wealth, and that we should not ask of God from the lust of our own hearts. Then he said something which soundly refutes Ryan Brennan. We heard Ryan say earlier that when you begin to understand, and you begin to have a feeling about something, an emotional feeling about something, something at work, something in your daily life, something big in your life, whatever it is, you need to pay attention. Is this from my flesh, or is this from my spirit? Your spirit's never wrong, your flesh usually is. That's Ryan Brennan. Yet here James says, Do you think that the, spirit, the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusteth to envy. Envy is certainly wrong. And here we see the spirit of man is capable of envy. If we accept James, Sonny, noise, noise, Sonny. Sonny's going to get used to doing this. If we accept James, we must reject Ryan Brennan. Seeking material wealth, we must make ourselves friends of the world. And that is the context in which James issues that warning here. So if we accept James, we must also reject Michael Brandenburg and his abundant blessings hoax. It's a hoax. Paul of Tarsus admonishes his readers in Hebrews chapter 13 to let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But Paul of Tarsus best answers the treachery of Brennan and Brandenburg in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where he warns of the perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment, contentment, godliness with contentment, meaning to be happy with what you have and not be a bitch and whine, or not constantly lust after bigger and better things, or more money, or a bigger house, or a, a mansion on a beach. But godliness with contentment is great gain.
For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and in many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. That's a thorough refutation, refutation of Brennan and Brandenburg. Finally, we will address one last favorite of the prosperity hucksters, which is John chapter 14, verse 14, where Christ said, If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. They love to point out this passage and demand material blessings from Yahweh. But let us read from verse 12 of the chapter. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do, he shall also do. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now we must ask, where did the apostles ever request material wealth? Where did they ever acquire material wealth? Paul was shipwrecked three times, and he never owned his own yacht. The apostles in Jerusalem were poor, and could not even work to support themselves. So Paul took up a collection among the Christian assemblies of the Greeks on their behalf. Why didn't they just ask Jesus for some cash? Rather, Christ said, the works that I do, he shall do also. And that is what he meant by, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. When did Christ ever give a new chariot, or a team of horses, or a mansion, or a farm to anyone during his ministry? And what about a house on the beach in Galilee, or a new pair of Roman-style Birkenstocks for each of the kids? This is the core of the recent divisions which we have experienced. But we wish well to all those who have departed from our fellowship to follow after mammon, praying that they repent. They are not betraying me, or even us as a community, but rather they are betraying Christ himself in their pursuit of mammon. Sonny. Yes. Say something useful. <laughs> I have nothing to say, Bill. I have nothing to add. Well, uh, I mean, maybe we'll, um, I, I don't know, maybe we'll get some notes outlined and, and, and get into this Napoleon Hill a little bit more one day in the future, it, 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 if in case we have to. Because you know, everything, everything that I had worked, I had read over the last thirty years, I've tried to forget through all that stuff. Well, well, it's definitely um, it, it's, it's just as bad as coming from the Southern Baptist Church into Christian identity, 
you've got to purge your mind of all that stuff. And well, it's taken a while to do it. Joe Osteen. Now, I know, I know you know more than you're letting on. Joe Osteen. Where did he get this from? Well, where did he get his prosperity gospel from? I don't know. He popped up to me out of thin air. I have no idea where he even came from. Okay, I thought you knew. I, I, I really did. No. But from what I've read, Joe Osteen got it from Napoleon Hill and, and, and from Neville Goddard. So, so uh, I mean, Ryan Brennan is a disciple of the same men that Joel Osteen learned from. Right. That, that's what I'm understanding. And, and that this has been disseminating. Uh, I mean, how many network marketing organizations are there? And yeah. Thousands. That there are thousands, right. Uh, I mean, it, it's, uh, I, I never really got involved in a lot of that stuff. I know about Amway and, and a few others, Shackley. I, I don't think Shackley's in this class, though. I, I really don't. Um, that there's the pot and pan company. What the heck? What with the copper pots? I, I can't remember their name. Right? I remember them right. from when I was a kid. Well, um, like we were talking earlier, Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar had a brother. Had a brother named Judge Ziglar. And they were they both started out in their business selling pots and pans. Well, they were both I think Southern Baptist too. So they. They pulled the, pre the teachings from the Bible, started applying that to what they were doing. And, uh, you know, I don't know what, it, it must have been hard work paid off because it wasn't, I don't believe it was Yahweh helping them. Well, well I mean, you, you could work hard and, and, and engage with something like that honestly and, and profit from it. And, and exactly. be be blessed to keep the profit, the fruits of your labors. There's no doubt. But it, it's when you, you you develop a system of hucksterism. I, I mean, Zig Ziglar profiting from all those books that he wrote, selling that, that this think and grow rich crap. I, I mean, that's a different story. Right. So that this is what, what I'm saying. Here we have this negress, right? That this this shebun this tape I played and she's espousing all the same things that Ryan Brennan espouses. She was high on jungle juice. Well, well, right, but she she sincerely believes this, and she repeated it all back with a lot of the same language that Ryan uses in his videos. Now Michael tries to put a a, a more Christian fa facade onto his prosperity teachings, but he's still he, he used that phrase "abundant life" and and "abundant blessings" so often in his in his sermons in October, November, and December that it he, he began to to look pretty transparent. He right. he really did begin to look like nothing but a prosperity huckster. And and I'm sort of glad that he's out of my life with that stuff, and and I'm sort of glad that Ryan's out of my life with this promotion of Goddard. But I, I'm I, I had to address this tonight because I'm constantly being questioned about this. There are constantly um, things being raised in the Christiania forum, and and these people can't seem to leave me alone. That they can't. That Ryan's talking about me in in every single video he does every single week. Last week he did a video calling down curses on me and prophesying my demise this year. Right. 
I'm going to die this year, according to Brother Ryan. I'm going to suffer ten, ten plagues first, I think, or something crazy like that. <laughs> it, if, um, it, if I don't die this year, then I, I wonder if Ryan is going to go jump off the bridge into the bay or something, because he should, because he's a false prophet, right? Well, he'll probably be uh, wishing that he had his house on the beach. Well, well, yeah, right. It, it's that, that this is um, I, I, I don't. It's incredible to me that these ju people just can't leave me alone, and I'm going going to continue to debunk this stuff if they keep it up because this is dangerous to Christian identity. It's dangerous to Christianity in general, and and it just shocks me that identity Christians who who have supposedly professed our faith for three, four, five, six years have been taken away by this. Right. Are, are, are that shallow that they're being taken away by this? Because this is, um, it, it's just straight garbage. It, it's incredible to me how, how they twist the scripture. Wow. And they have well, motives. One of the things that I'm sitting here thinking, they are the authors of the books and I'm, you know, there are there are thousands of books out there on this, but they are so subtle in the way that they introduce it. They've got you chanting or memorizing something all the time, and you say you memorize these things, and you you keep repeating them over and over and over. And it, it just keeps leading you in. Well, your so brain... You, you're not getting it this way, so you say, well, maybe I want to try this book over here. It leads you in even deeper. So you're brainwashing yourself. You're indoctrinating yourself, and, and you're becoming a a drone for, for the network marketing companies. Exactly. And not necessarily the network marketing companies it's for the prosperity doctrine well, well right in, in the same way you're becoming a drone for a particular pastor that, that you've been feeding with, with money and he's been exploiting your greed telling you that you're going to be rich because you're feeding him with money right so Joel Osteen has a 45 million dollar mansion and people that are church members are, are are losing their houses and 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 they're starving to death, exactly, I, because they're giving all their money to Joel Osteen with the hopes of getting rich. It it's the same sort of desperation that we see in the lottery, the mm -hmm. people that play the lottery, and and I've seen people that work hard that only make four or five hundred dollars a week, and and they work hard for it, and they're spending a hundred dollars a week on a lottery hoping to become rich, right. So they can't pay their phone bill, or, or they can't buy their kids' sneakers. And I've seen that. And I've seen the same thing. And, and it's the same sort of exploitation and, and that desperation that leads people to it. And instead of really teaching, um, te teaching the hope that, that Christians should have, the hope of the ecclesia of the you know of the assembly of the brethren of the kindred right your kinsmen well thanks for being here sonny and and i appreciate you
Well, I um, hope I did okay for my first time. Yeah, we'll have to get you. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll have to get the noise level down and get you used to that. And that's going to take some doing. Uh, okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Yahweh bless. I have a few. Um, well, we're going to have a, another friend on here shortly, Chris Lampkin. Chris, I hope you're listening and and getting ready. I, I have first. I would like to discuss a particular passage from Luke chapter 10. This passage has recently been a point of contention among some of our brethren, and we already commented upon it at the Christagenia Forum, but I thought I would elaborate on it further here. In the opening verse of Luke chapter 10, we read, After these things, the Lord a reference to Christ, I'm quoting the King James Version, the Lord appointed seventy others also, and sent them two and two, or in pairs in our modern language, sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. So he was sending these men in pairs ahead of him to announce his coming, ostensibly. Then Christ gave these seventy men specific instructions not to take anything with them on their journey and as to what to do as they traveled. They were to live from the goodness of the people that they encountered and they were to spread the gospel concerning Christ as they healed the sick wherever they found any kindness and curse and warn the inhabitants wherever they did not find any kindness. With that, Christ made examples of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, places where he himself had found no kindness. Then we read, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Here Christ reveals the nature and origin of the devils which were subject to the apostles as demons which resulted from the rebellion of the fallen angels. This corroborates the Enoch literature and the accounts of the origin of demons found there. But Christ also warns the apostles not to rejoice merely because the demons are subject to them. But he also said, I send you forth as lambs among wolves, and I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Statements which are certainly references to embodied demons, not disembodied demons, not only to spirits. There certainly is evidence of embodied demons in John chapter 6 verse 70 where Christ refers to Judas Iscariot as a devil and in 1 Peter 5 8 and in 1 John chapter 4 verse, verses 1 to 3. So ostensibly the seventy were able to preach the gospel in the face of adversity from wolves, serpents, and scorpions. Yet they were happy that demons were subject to them, evidently because they were able to heal the sick and do other like things. 
But to some of our brethren, some of our brethren want to interpret the treading on serpents and scorpions a little differently, imagining that it gives them license to overcome the enemies of God in these modern times. So we must ask, how do we tread on serpents and scorpions? And does that one line give Christians permission to neglect all of the scriptures which inform them that vengeance belongs to Yahweh, and that we should wait on the Lord? And then we must ask further, or do we overcome serpents and scorpions by keeping the law and the gospel and submitting ourselves into obedience to Yahweh? Because the apostles who were given the ability, the power to tread on serpents and scorpions, did not overthrow Rome. They didn't defeat the Jews in the temple. They didn't change the world order. So how do we think that we could do those things? How do we think that? If that's what Yahweh, if that's what Yahshua meant by, I give you power over to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, why didn't the apostles immediately go out and overthrow the Roman emperor and clean the, Jew, the, the Jews out of the temple for good? They couldn't do that. So we can't claim to have that authority from that same passage. Notice that the 70 apostles did not destroy the people of the towns which did not accept them, but were rather told only, but into whatsoever city ye enter and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, even the very dust of your city which cleaves on us we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So the vengeance of Yahweh was not placed into the hands of the apostles. And neither can we imagine this passage concerning treading on serpents and scorpions to be placing that vengeance into our hands. As we said in the Christogenia Forum, <coughs> when this subject arose just last week, it is pretty clear in the book of Acts that long after Christ had told the apostles that they had power to tread on serpents and scorpions, that they had rejoiced when they were found worthy to be persecuted. So after the wise Gamaliel had given counsel to the Sadducees and Pharisees not to slay the apostles of Christ, we read, And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. But even with that, they would not obey the Jews. And in the next verse... It says, and daily in a temple, and in every house, 
they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So that is how they overcame their enemies. Because vengeance against them is forestalled until Yahweh God raises his own hand, as we are informed by the scriptures. How did Paul overcome Nero? Nero had Paul executed. How did the elder James overcome the Sadducees? In 61 AD, the Sadducees stoned James to death. How did the lesser James, the brother of John, overcome Herod Agrippa I? In Acts chapter 12, Herod had him killed with the sword. In relation to devils of this sort, Peter warned in chapter 5 of his first epistle, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom ye he may devour, whom you resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So Christians should expect to be persecuted, but they must nevertheless hold on to their faith and their Christian profession to the very end. And that is how they overcome the enemies of Yahweh their God. This Paul says in Hebrews chapter 3, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. And again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And from verse 6. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation, and our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. That is the Christian challenge. To endure suffering in the face of adversity and to maintain the testimony of the gospel without fail. So Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right in the very last verse of the chapter, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And again in chapter 16, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, in other words, behave like men, be strong. Then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted We were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. And finally in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand.
Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Maintaining the truth of God in the face of his enemies, regardless of what they do to us, that is how Christians overcome. Treading on serpents and scorpions. That was the challenge of the early apostles, and that is our challenge today. That's how we tread on serpents and scorpions. We maintain the truth in the face of everything they throw at us. We keep the word of the gospel. And I hear a little baby. <laughs> yep. Hello, Chris. Said, uh, That's precious. That's precious. That's better than Sonny's noise. He's banging on his keyboard and coughing, and the baby's precious. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sonny. I'm going to keep picking on you. No. How you doing? <laughs> Oh, I'm doing well. Beautiful day today. Wonderful. Good to have you here. Praise Yahweh. Yeah, yeah. Praise Yahweh. Glad, glad to be here. Welcome to um, Christagania for the first time ever. Yes. Yes, I had intended to call in on the last one, but I was in a six-state trip from Idaho down here to Colorado. Yeah, you know, I'm reluctant to do call-ins. All I ever get is trolls. So I'd rather contact <laughs> people and ask them if they want to come on and... Uh, and and if this is successful, hopefully I'll do more of it, and maybe people can submit topics to me, and I'll I'll put one of these together, and now and then at least. Right. Yeah, it's nice to hear from everybody. I can't wait to listen to the show. I have to download it on MP3. My streaming's not doing very well today. Well, I don't know. I don't know if you're missing much. I just ragged on a prosperity gospel hucksters for an hour. <laughs> uh, was an hour enough time to do that? Yeah, well, I, I just hit all the surface points, I guess. I, I mean, I could t sit and take apart your sermons all day, right? But it, is that really worth my time? Yeah, exactly. I, I have to I'd say, much rather hear you critique uh, Comp Array. Well, thank you. That's um that's coming, but right now I have to get to some real work. I think next week I have to do um I have to start my John commentary. I'm hoping to do that this coming week. It depends on how many um disturbances and lost work days I get. That's another long story. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we should be fine. I should be starting John soon. Right. Uh I was wondering how long you were going to run tonight. I was just looking at my phone right when you called, thinking, I wonder what he's going to call. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it took a little longer for that than, than I thought, but it's not really as late as I thought. I, I thought I may not call you until 10, so I'm actually kind of early, I think. It's 941 Eastern. So what do you want to talk about? Facebook. No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, it's kind of been bugging me lately to see all these people uh, still trying to support Trump after uh, he's proved over and over again to be a tool of the Zionist Jew system. I know. It's incredible. It, it's The Trump tards in Christian identity, it, it really bothers me because I, I think that they're just being um, shallow and, and that they shouldn't care about politics. 
And and Trump certainly is right. Well, and they should know better anyway. They know what he's married to. The 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 bombing of Syria. If nothing convinced them before that, I thought the bombing of Syria would convince them. Right. I, I really did because that's. Don Fox had played a speech. He had me play two weeks ago when we did our little end times program. He had me play a speech from Wesley Clark, Wesley Clark, who who had said, I I think it was like a twenty year old speech, a fifteen year old speech, whatever, who who had talked about the Jewish objectives for the entire Middle East, that they the wanted, Greater Israel Plan. Yeah, right. They wanted it all, and and Trump steps in there and bombs Syria to to advance that Jewish plan. Now they got Trump's image on a coin, don't they? Uh, yes. Yes. Did I send you a picture of that today? No, but I saw them on Gab or, or on Facebook in the last couple of days. Uh, a bunch of people posted them on Gab. They got Trump's image on his coin, and they're basically comparing comparing him to Cyrus, aren't they? Yes, exactly. Cyrus was the well, Persian king who well, allowed. I bring Colonel Jack into it because it's it's definitely exactly what he predicted in the Gog and Magog sermons on your uh, Israel Alex site. Yeah, I, I have mixed emotions about that, and, and I could talk about it. You, you know, you could tell me what Jack said, Jack Moore. You're referring to. Yeah, you know, this yes. is a Masonic. That this is a Masonic objective since Freemasonry was um, was contrived, right? To to rebuild Solomon's Temple. Right. And and the Jews have always controlled Freemasonry. So, so we shouldn't be surprised by this move to Jerusalem. We, we should. It's the culmination of. It, it's not biblical prophecy, believe me, but it is the culmination of. And I could talk about the biblical prophecy aspect too, if you'd like to. But, but I don't know what Jack Moore said, but he is right in 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 in, in anticipating it because it's been the objective of Freemasonry for for over two hundred years, right? Yeah, four hundred, I think. Yeah. To to rebuild that temple, so all of the Freemasonic rituals and rites are centered around the rebuilding of the temple, right? So so we shouldn't be surprised by this. This that this proves that everything we've said about the Freemasons, and when I say we, I mean that the entire Christian right, that everything that we've said about the Freemasons for years is true. <laughs> It, it proves the protocols are true. It proves that the, the Freemasons really are part of the Jewish conspiracy, uh, to me, anyway. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, uh, even if the protocols weren't true, they were at least written by somebody who knew what they were talking about. And, and Trump is playing right into their hands. He's, yeah, and has been, has been since before he was a president. Right. Well, we know that. I mean, anybody that's really... Um, observed politics and and I haven't really observed politics in a long time but well, when I was young I, I was in the pages of the newspapers and, and the magazines every day and, and right. knew, knew Donald Trump very well and, and he's a flaming liberal and, and he's just been playing to the right yeah exactly I mean if anybody was a racist candidate it was Hillary I, I mean, look at um, and and we all can hate Hillary, and and we should, but you're kind of right about that. She's probably a lot more racist yeah. than Trump is. 
Yeah, he's been getting uh, diversity kickbacks and uh, affirmative action kickbacks since the 80s. Reagan was another actor, and, and I really think they set Trump up to be the next Reagan. I can see that. But play is um, a great conservative when you're really a, a liberal and, and fulfill every every agenda that the Jews want you to fulfill. That's Trump is after the same um, playbook as Ronald Reagan, as far as I'm concerned. Well, and I have a theory that, that since Reagan, every presidential uh, shift from one party to the other has been almost like a pendulum. So, you know, we had ultra-conservative Bush, and then we had super liberal uh, 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 Clinton, and then we had conservative Bush too, and then we had Obama, and now we have Trump, and I think the pendulum's going to go so far to the left, it's going to make Obama look like a conservative. Yeah, you know, I think Trump, yeah, you know, I was talking about immigration a couple of weeks ago, and, and Obama deported more illegal immigrants in every single year of his administration than Trump did in 2017. So, so how, how do the Trump tards, how do they apologize for that? Exactly. And, and they use this excuse of like he's playing the system or he's playing the Jew or he's playing 4D chess. But really the only people getting played are the people who are dumb enough to vote for him. And, and the people that still vocalize support for him. I mean, a lot of people voted for Trump as the lesser of two evils, right? I think that that was stupid. Yeah. I, I think it's stupid to vote at all, right? That that's my personal opinion. That in in national politics, we should just stay the hell out. It it's it's rigged. It it's going to be rigged either way. We we should abstain. Abstention is the best vote, or, or vote for um, what whatever for obscure candidates or whatever. But don't vote for the two party candidates because you're just putting your signature. You're you're approving of their system. I, I think that politics at a local level it is might be good for some people to get engaged in if they think they could make a difference in their community just by running their mouths, right? Like Patrick Little is doing in, in California. And that's not really local, the Senate race, but he's out there beating the drum on, on the Jews. So how could he do bad doing that? I think we lost Chris. We'll try him back. He doesn't have the best Wi-Fi service. Sorry about that. Lost my internet real quick. No problem. Well, well Patrick Little, uh, I mean, he's beating the drum against the Jews in California, and he could raise an awareness among some people. That's great. I, I don't get, you know, hit his um, chances of winning the Senate seat or slim and being seated as a senator, there's no way they're going to let him sit if he if he won. Right, he's, in a room full of cryptos. He's never getting into the United States Senate because they don't... That That's um, how the Senate and, and the House can overrule the, the will of the people in any district. They don't have to seat a, 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 yeah. a new senator or a new representative. And it basically nullifies the vote. Well, at, at the very least, participating in the system is is helping the enemy anyway. And and at worst, I think it's idolatry. Um, it it is a form of idolatry. That's absolutely true. I would have to agree. Because then we're we're taking our faith away from 
who Yahweh would have over us and putting it in man. And then especially in our system because our system is run by the serpent. Well, well right. And and that's it, it startles me that so many identity Christians are still engaged at that level in the political system. I, I, that's why I wrote, well, when I got out of prison, I couldn't believe back in, um, I, I was getting out just as Obama was getting elected, right? It was late 2008. I went to the halfway house in um, October of 2008, and he was elected weeks later in November, right? And and um, <clears throat> I was I, I was home by December, and I was doing internet radio with Eli James, and I could not believe how many of the identity Christians that I was talking to for the first time, right? Because I was locked up since I learned CI. Well, well, right. I couldn't believe how many of them were still engaged in the political process that still had hope that so-and-so or such-and-such was going to win a political election. And that's when I wrote a paper called There Is No Political Solution. Uh, I, I mean, it could have been a lot longer, but I, I wrote that because I couldn't believe how many people... I never realized that such a paper would need to be written, right? Right. I, I never imagined I would have to write such a paper. I, I just, I, I wrote that in April of 2009. I, I, I just imagined that everybody in Christian identity took it for granted that we don't have a political solution. Yeah, yeah they should already know who's running it. Right, and, and they should already know that we can't beat them at, at that game because they've got it all rigged up. They print the money. You can't beat the people that print the money in, in an election. Right. How do you do it? That They got both sides sewed up every time. And, and if there's three candidates, they got all three sides sewed up. It don't matter. So so it yeah right it's it, it just amazes me and and now even though I've been beating this drum for ten years there's no political solution some of my own friends and listeners are still tied up in in this idea that there could be a political solution or political relief from our woes. Or, oh, even if Trump just builds the wall. Well, of course he's not going to build the damn wall. <laughs> even if he does, we're never going to get our birthright back until we stand up and take it from the Edomites. Well, I mean, there's, there's going to come a point when Babylon falls, and then we have to know to arise and thresh. With that, I agree. But Babylon has to fall first. I mean, that's the sequence given in the Revelation. And, and that should be evident to us simply because through observation of the, the normies, the normies are never going to be normies as long as they're comfortable. Exactly, and that's that's what has to happen. Is it has that, to that, get bad enough to wake right. people up? That I, I'm sorry, I should have I misspoke. I should have said the normies are never going to be anything but normies as long as they're comfortable. There's a few people that listen to me and and that are dear friends and supporters that have never suffered um, personal or financial calamity, and I pray they never do. And I tell those people that 
they are so lucky because everybody else they're so blessed because everybody else in Christian identity I know is Christian identity because they've suffered personal calamity I, I, you go to prison and you you learn CI right I mean how many of us have done that nothing but four walls in the Bible yeah yeah right and and when you have nothing but four walls in the Bible then you might be willing to start listening to God but until sometimes that's what it takes for some of us yeah that's my point and, and almost everybody I know that it is awakened to this message has been through some personal trauma and and if it's not as harsh as going to prison at, at least that th they lost their jobs under under bad <coughs> circumstances or their houses or divorces and and they started poking around on the internet looking for answers right right but most of the most of the people in CI are are uh, are, are not in poverty but 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 are, are oppressed disenfranchised and have suffered some sort of calamity in financial or, or um, criminal or whatever in, in their lives. Um, I was just at a financial counselor. Uh, I'm trying to get my 401k and all that back from Walmart because uh, I managed a Walmart for like three years. Wow. Anyway, I was just uh, with a financial counselor the other day, and uh, he said he expects the tax rate in seven years to be like 65 to uh, 70% in some brackets. Well, I'm, I don't know what the buzz is, the political buzz, but that, that um, he might be betting that the Democrats write a new tax law as soon as they get in, right? Because well, he's just he's just uh, measuring it against inflation and uh, uh, the tax rates pre World War II, and just the general trend of things. He had a he had a very convincing graph, and it made me wonder what exactly Americans would do if they only get to keep forty cents on every dollar. Well, if they could afford beer and and a steak on the grill once a week, I, I don't, and their television and their cable, I don't think they'll care. <laughs> most of these people I, I mean I don't know what it's going to take to wake them up but it, it really distresses me that so many CI people who that the people that should know better still post pro-Trump memes and, and um, wow that is idolatry I, I have no doubt that's idolatry Yes, exactly. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a little distracted. I'm being used as a jungle gym right now. That's okay. <laughs> like I said, the, the, the children are precious. She's precious. Oh, yeah, she's wonderful. Well, I don't, I don't know what to do to... Um, yeah, you know, I did a whole series of programs before the election, and, and some with Brother Ryan, right? The Kingdom of God or, or the Elections of Man. Right. And, and um, I could probably come up with some more titles. Well, and then your whole series on the synagogue of Satan. Yeah, the protocols of Satan, right. It, it's, um, if people yeah, it should to be that, pretty self-evident by the time that we realize we're Israel, they have right. our birthright, and they're using it against us. I did um, Christian Expectations 
uh, America's only, I use that meme, America's only hope, not in the donkey, not in the elephant, but in the lamb, right? Christian expectations, yeah. uh, I did, um, Goebbels' hope from a Christian identity perspective and Hitler's war from a Christian identity perspective, they were actually related to... That one, I've listened to that one like six times now. Our political situation, right? If, if you're smart enough to pick up on that, I mean, I don't know if everybody is, but it, uh, I thought it was pretty clear that Goebbels' hope and Hitler's war were both related to our political perspective. And, exactly. And the kingdom of heaven and the elections of men and... and um. Oh, my Romans 13 presentation, government is a punishment from God. That's what it is. And, and the, with Brother Ryan, I did Bible or bureaucracy. And, and all, all those podcasts I did in, in 2014, 2015, most of them in 2016, the parable of the trees of the forest. And, and what, which shows that the Bible teaches us that only the scummiest bastards of society are going to rise to be our leaders. And, and right, that's, exactly. and that's a lesson from the book of Judges. I mean, it's pretty clear. <laughs> and, and well, that was, I think I'm about at the limit of what my Wi-Fi will take at high speed VOIP right now. Well, well, it's so. good talking to you, Chris, and, and, and I know you got to get that off your chest, and, and it's good that I do once in a while, too, because otherwise <laughs> you you look at your friend's Facebook feeds and you want to beat your head against your desk and cry, why, oh, why? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we'll get there eventually, though. It's like you said, it's going to take an event that's that's got to change people's perspective. Yeah, well, maybe the escalation of the Syrian war, but I don't think it's going to be the Syrian war because most of these people engaged in, in the political thing, that they're misled to think the Syrian war is a good thing. I, 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 it's nuts. They'll, wow, some people are just always going to support that they're always going to be Trump tards. I, I don't know how to get them off it. I don't know what else I could say. Only Yahweh can really shake people awake, I guess. That's right, and he knows exactly what they need and when they need it. Well, thanks for your time, Chris, and thanks for your input. Good night. Yep. Well, that'll do it. I think it's about to drop me, Bill. I appreciate calling. It's always great to hear from you guys. Yahweh bless. Yep. Okay, that'll be it for um, for for this program. I will be here next Friday. I hope to, and, and and that depends on my progress during the week. I hope to start the Gospel of John next Friday evening, and, and I think I hope to continue with the next portion of the Protocols of Satan next Saturday. If I don't start the Gospel of John next Friday evening, I'll certainly get a start on putting it together so that I could get a, get on it the following Friday. It, it's always a lot of work to put a, a new series together and to plan it out and lay out what work I have to do for it, especially John, because none of my notes, none of my translation notes are in writing. They are all in notebooks in a box around here somewhere. I know where they are. I saw them last year. I'll dig them out and we'll get that started soon. 
and it would just be a little easier to have my original translation notes so I don't have to try to reconstruct those, right? Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and never the God of the Jews. And good night.